You can please keep your Bibles open to Matthew 6. We're going to continue to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. Speaking of which, good morning. <laughs> it's good to be together as God's people. What would you say that one of the most common worries in the world is? And not just today, but throughout history. If you were thinking making ends meet, um, I would have to agree with you. That's probably one of the most pressing concerns um, that's been common to all people throughout all time around the whole world. Having enough is one of the most common stresses and anxieties that we have. I mean, how often have you stayed up at night um, concerned about your income, concerned about your retirement, about your kids' college education, concerned about whether or not you'll be able to pay for that surprise repair you didn't see coming and no one asked you if you wanted to thank you very much? Well, friends, if there's one thing we've learned throughout the past two years of COVID, it's that we're in far less control than we thought. Things that people thought were things of the past that they wouldn't face when it comes to their employment, their investments, to real estate, to government. They thought these things were problems of the Great Depression or post-World War II era, perhaps, but surely not today. We've come so far. And they found out that, oh no, the world is still the world and bad stuff still happens. And it's in God's providence that we find ourselves revisiting the Lord's Prayer at exactly this moment when, with 40-year high inflation, we are in the fourth petition of that prayer this morning, which is in verse 11 of Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread. To gain the context, I'd like you to follow along with me as I read the entirety of the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll consider verse 11 particularly. Beginning in verse 9 of Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread, we see in just these few words the riches of divine love as Jesus turns our attention to our dependence on our loving and gracious Father in heaven for all things. As we've already seen in the Lord's Prayer, the first three requests focus exclusively on God and his glory. Jesus instructs us to pray a little differently than perhaps we have been naturally accustomed to praying growing up in America where we just rush into God's presence with requests for this, that, this person, what I want here and how I can have these things over here and Lord please because everything is from your hand and amen and we don't really think too much about God's glory at all. But Christian prayer as Jesus teaches it to us comes in and it says Father in heaven hallowed be your name. In other words may you be exalted. Whatever else happens here may you be glorified. Your kingdom come. May it be evident in our lives and in this whole world that you reign supreme. That you will have the honor as our king. And in fact while we're at it may your will be done everywhere as it is in heaven. In other words may this world look like you're in charge. That's how we begin our prayers. It's with God-centered concern. In other words the priority of Christian prayer is making much of God. 
And now with the fourth request, give us this day our daily bread, we turn a corner, Jesus turns a corner rather, to teach us that not only are we concerned with God's glory, but we glorify him by bringing to him our needs. As a parent, it pleases you when your children, even perhaps as they get older, say, Dad, Mom, I need your help with something. It honors you and what you have to offer. And in the same way, even though now we're going to be focusing on our needs and bringing them to God, even this is for his glory because it shows that he is the wellspring of our whole sufficiency, not ourselves. The point that Jesus is making in this petition, if I were to break it down for you, is simply this, that you must come to your heavenly father in dependent trust for all of your needs. Okay, if you walk away with nothing else this morning, come to your heavenly father in dependent trust for all of your needs. And we're going to look this morning first at how the father's providing love for his children is seen. And then we're going to consider how we can honor his providing love in our response. And so how do we see the father's providing love? What does it look like for him to show us that he does love us as our providing father? Well, if you're in Christ, then God is your father. And as father, he does what fathers do. He provides for his children out of the abundance of his love for them. In fact, fathers in this world providing for their kids is a thing because we have a father who provides for us in everything. And what Jesus shows us in this petition is that the Father's providing love in his meeting our daily needs. That's what the focus of this petition primarily is about. It's on his meeting our daily needs. That's what he means by daily bread. We're coming to the Father with the fact that we need him to provide for us in everything. I mean, there's nothing more basic than daily bread, than daily sustenance, the nourishment that sustains our lives. And if you were one of the disciples first listening to this prayer taught to you in the Sermon on the Mount, if you had been there on the mountain, you would have known all too well what it looks like to live a hand-to-mouth existence, where every day you got up hoping that you'd be able to make a denarius, or if you were with Jesus, to go fishing and happen to get a coin to pay the tax that you need to pay, or whatever the case may be. You weren't exactly sure where your food was coming from, but you knew that if God didn't provide it, you were going to go hungry. We need to get ourselves into that frame of mind because we, very few of us, know what that kind of existence is like. And yet the truth is the same for us as much as it is for them. Everything we have is from God. Taking a few sick days off of work back then could be dangerous to your survival because no work, no denarius, no bread, no sustenance. All of this would have brought the Jewish disciples of Jesus back in their minds to the wandering of the people of Israel, their people, in the wilderness. When literally, I mean, they couldn't plant vineyards while they were wandering around the, the desert. They couldn't, you know, they couldn't uh, go through grain fields or, or plant grain fields for that matter. They knew that it had to come from God or it wasn't coming at all. And that's precisely how God miraculously provided for them day by day for 40 years of wandering after they left Egypt. Listen, in Exodus 16, it reads that the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Imagine what your 
weather report on your iPhone, it, it received that notification. Light bread to cease at, in Yakima at about 8.34 this morning. Wow. I mean, for heaven's sake. From the very start as a nation, God taught his people this fundamental lesson that he is their provider. He called his son, Israel, out of Egypt, and he provided for them. And now in the Sermon on the Mount, at the dawning of the new covenant age, Jesus teaches his people, the church, that same lesson. God is our provider in everything. And just because we have savings accounts doesn't mean that God's provision is any less for us than it was when he rained manna down day after day miraculously from heaven for 40 years. I mean, look how incredible the truth is that Jesus is drawing our attention to in this prayer. We have a God who we've already seen, hallowed be his name. He is exalted in the heavens. The scriptures say his glory is above the highest heaven. By the way, we haven't sent space telescopes anywhere near that deep. And yet, though he reigns over all things and his kingdom comes, we have a God who takes care for our lives down to the details of the crumbs we eat. That's the loving provision of God for you and for me in our daily bread. And yet we recognize, however, that bread isn't just bread in this prayer. Jesus is using bread as a stand-in for everything we need to survive and flourish in life. It's any need that we have, and yes, he means needs, not wants. Okay? I'm still waiting on a few of the wants, but I've never lacked for what I need as one of God's children. Martin Luther famously said that bread here in the Lord's Prayer means everything necessary for the provision or preservation of this life. Like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government, and peace. And he's surely right. When we come to our Heavenly Father, we come in dependence on him for meeting every single need that we have. Paul was talking to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, and he said that in him, in God, we, have, uh, we live and we move and we have our being. So friends, take a deep breath. That's your daily bread. You've never yet taken a breath that belonged to you. All of it is from God and his grace. When we sin, we just simply take the breath he gives us to then turn away from him. That's the irony of it. And yet he continues to be gracious. Lung expansion after lung expansion, after bite after bite, paycheck after paycheck. His providing love is shown in meeting our needs. And yet as soon as we recognize that every single need of ours is met daily by our Father, we can't help but recognize that he meets not only those needs, but our greatest need. He meets our need for forgiveness of sins and salvation from condemnation. This, friends, is at the heart of all our needs. We could have enough food for a lifetime and live in the most luxurious mansions that would make even the Hollywood stars envious and yet be lost in our sins and estranged from the Father. What good is it to eat today and be damned tomorrow? I would say it's no good at all. We need a Savior and he is exactly who the Father has given us, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Yes, we need food, but we need salvation most. And this is precisely what God the Father did when he gave his sinless and eternal son up to death on a cross for you and for me, that he would meet our greatest need and make us his children and then teach us that as his children, he meets our daily needs as well. You may remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor John preached on the feeding of the thousands as Jesus multiplied five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, the people liked that. Who wouldn't? I mean, number one, that's really cool. Number two, free meal. 
In fact, the people were willing to go across a lake to find Jesus the next day, we're told in John, and to ask for more bread. They had forgotten the main lesson, or perhaps they just didn't see it in the first place, that Jesus is the bread of life. And that's what Jesus made very clear to them when they said, hey, do us another, you know, do us another miracle. Give us some more food. We're hungry today, too, just like we were yesterday. And that's when Jesus says to them, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Forty years of miracles, day after day in the wilderness. And yet the people who ate that bread didn't see the promised land because of their rebellion. And yet Jesus comes as the true bread from heaven, And he offers eternal life to all who would eat of him by faith. Through his perfect life and his death for our sins as our sinless substitute and his resurrection, Jesus is the heavenly bread given by the Father for our greatest and eternal need. Whoever believes in him for salvation has not only God's daily provision, but his eternal provision as well. That is the providing love of the Father seen in his Son. And this is what God was pointing to when he was named in Genesis 22 as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. You may recall that Abraham was commanded to bring his only son, who also was given by miracle, up to a mountain to sacrifice him. Abraham didn't, he didn't understand what was going on. Why would God promise a son, give him, and then tell me to kill him? Where, is, where are all these offspring that are supposed to come through him? And yet God knew the, uh, Abraham knew the character of his God, and he went to obey. And it was at the crisis point when the knife was raised that God sends a ram in the thicket, and the angel says, stop. Here is the sacrifice provided by God exactly when you need it, because God will keep his promises. And it was as that ram was going to be slaughtered that, Moses, or that Abraham says, uh, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh in Hebrew, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And surely on that mount, 2,000 years later, Jesus, the Lamb of God, to whom the ram pointed, was sacrificed, and it was provided for you and for me and all who would come by faith. The Father's providing love is seen in his meeting our daily needs and our eternal need. So how do we live How do we live in light of that? Well, I'd like to ask how we honor his providing love because he does provide. And I'd suggest to you five ways that are all of them critical to honor the the Father's providing love for us. Along the way, as we look through these, would you ask the Spirit to examine your heart and highlight to you, are you honoring your Heavenly Father who provides for you in these ways? Or are you bearing a burden that your shoulders were never designed to carry? We go through life with so many burdens that that we put there because they belong with the Father. And every time we do, the Father is there saying, come, (laughs) you know, Jesus, come to me, you who are weary and have rest. We have a Father who loves and cares for us, and we want to honor him with what he does. 
Well, most foundationally, I'd suggest that the Father's providing love is honored in our embracing Christ, who is the bread of life. And of course, unless our faith is in Jesus, all the luxuries of the world won't do us any good. We must have our sins forgiven. It is our great need. There's only one bread from heaven that one may eat of it and not die, and that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so we honor the Father's providing love by apprehending him by faith, by believing that he and he alone is enough, that his sacrifice was perfect. You see, so many people, they try to curry favor with God through their tithes and offerings and service and sacrifices and their good works, all to gain the grace that they can't get except by faith alone, because it is only by faith alone that Jesus has given us to us to us at all. And so, so many people insist on providing something in order to earn the favor they can never provide for themselves. That's the free offer of the gospel. And yes, we respond to that gospel through good works and giving and service, but only because we have first received the fullness of Jesus by faith. See, this was Israel's problem by and large. Paul spells it out right there at the beginning of Romans 10 for his people. He says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to them is that they may be saved. He yearned for it. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, the Jews sought to establish righteousness through obedience to God's law, but they could never obey God's law until they had already been established in righteousness. They had it completely reversed the way that every man-made religion today does as well. The problem is that before a perfect and holy God, we are completely and utterly empty of all righteousness, unable to please God. And that's why Jesus came. See, the only thing we bring to the table is our sins and our need for forgiveness. And we honor God's providing love by laying hold of Christ by faith. Jesus is the bread of life. Do you embrace him? Or are you working for a bread you can never provide? Notice here in the Lord's Prayer, the very first thing we pray is our Father. Jesus is teaching that only those who can call God Father can ask him for daily bread. He is the Father who provides for his children. His provision is never promised for those who rebel against him, who do not trust in Christ. And yes, of course, look around the world. He's giving it day by day, but that's surely of mercy, not by promise. He provides for his children. Only those who are in Christ have any claim to the Lord's prayer, including the petition for daily bread. And so Paul tells the Philippians, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so praying these truths by faith in Jesus honors the Father's providing love. We also honor the Father's providing love in our dependent trust on him, in our dependent trust in him. And this perhaps more than any other place is where most believers get tripped up when it comes to this petition of the Lord's Prayer. See, we pray for God's provision, and then we worry. We say, Father, if you don't do it, we have nothing. And then we go, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do what I I just pray that God would do? Uh, That doesn't make sense. But of course, sin doesn't make sense, right? 
We deal with this constant insanity of acting as though the God who saves us and provides for us doesn't save us and provide for us. We acknowledge our dependence on him and then act as if it were up to us to do his job and we doubt whether he'll actually do what he's promised to do. And yet I have 6,000 years of world history that can tell you he has never yet failed. Jesus hits at the heart of this later in the Sermon on the Mount, as we saw in the scripture reading. He focuses on the daily provisions of food and drink and clothing, which, friends, food, drink, and clothing, that's like the most mundane stuff in the world. And that's exactly what Jesus looks to, to say, don't worry. Don't worry about those things. The things that you need the most, don't worry about them. Instead, set your eyes on your Father who loves you, and if you need evidence that he does, I mean, look at the flowers. Look at our courtyard. Look at, look at how the birds eat. They wake you up at dawn, chirping, because God fed them so that they have a voice to wake you up at six or whatever. <laughs> God, if he provides for birds and flowers, of course he's going to provide for you whom he loves. He didn't send his son to die for birds and flowers, but to redeem your soul. This petition invites peace from our, uh, the peace of God into our anxious hearts because anxiety dishonors the God who loves us and has the power to care for us. When we open our scriptures and read what it says about anxiety from Genesis to Revelation, so far from being a mental illness that develops in the brain, this is a spiritual sickness that starts in the heart. And we have a God who gets to the heart of it and he says, do not worry. Trust me, I will provide. But let's recognize what this trust is and isn't, though. Okay, volatile markets and staggering inflation do cause real pain and uncertainty. I mean, friends, what are we facing day after day right now? And yet, realize this, our God is on the throne. Washington's monetary policy may fail, but God's monetary policy has never failed, and it always involves providing for his children. In Psalm 37, David says, I once was young and now I'm old. And I have never yet seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. See, begging for bread on the street is a picture of not having your needs met, but God provides for his children's needs, which is why David never saw it happen. That someone who is righteous before God would be begging for bread. Now, this doesn't mean that he provides for all his children's wants any more than you would give your kids candy all day simply because they ask for it. And yet he does meet his children's needs. And the fact that we're here this morning means that we have a whole room full of lifetimes proving that point. Trusting God for this honors his providing love. And closely tied to that dependent trust in God is honoring him in grateful contentment. Honoring him in grateful contentment. You see, dependence looks ahead in trust to what God will provide. Contentment looks back with gratitude on what God has provided. So it's a, it's a time perspective. It, dependent trust looks forward to what God will do. Contentment looks back with gratitude on what God has done. Ours is a culture of discontent, looking for bigger, better, best, being unhappy until we attain that next goal, that bigger house, that thing that we just can't get out of our minds because we saw that Elon Musk made it. But friends, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 8, this is the Christian attitude. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And by food and clothing, Paul means, he means sustenance and shelter. The things we need for life, 
With these, we will be content. Our loving Father provides what we need, and we're grateful for it, and we can have rest when the rest of the world is running at a frenzy to get the iPhone 67 or whatever, standing all night in line, and you're just like, I'm cozy at home. But friends, it's easy to become imbalanced here and unbiblical in our conclusions. As soon as we say that the Christian is content, we also want to point out Contentment does not mean never striving to be better at your vocation, never striving to work for a raise or generate more revenue for your business or get a promotion. Godly ambition is a thing, and it's not the same as discontent. The attitude of the heart is where contentment is or is not. See, the mandate in the garden in Genesis 1 is to go and take dominion in a culture-building mandate that seeks to take the current situation and make it better for God's glory, all with God, for God, and through God's means. God in his word set the boundary of what that looks like. Paul tells slaves in, in the Corinthian church, he says, if you can attain your freedom, by all means, do it. But if not, be content in the station where God has put you. Contentment is not mediocrity and laziness baptized in Christian garb, okay? And yet there are too many people who are just content with mediocrity and they think ambition is bad, but the issue is a matter of the heart. Grumbling discontent is bad. Seeking to glorify God and be the best in what you do is not. What we see in this petition of the Lord's Prayer is the grateful contentment of the believer who will be happy with what God provides, whether or not our plans ever materialize. How many plans have you made that just never come to fruition? Don't get hung up on them. Be with your Father who has a better way for you and for me. How is your contentment? Are you honoring your Father's generous love with gratitude? Or do you need to repent of grumbling and ingratitude? Well, next, I want to return to Luther's insight into the meaning of daily bread here in order to make the point that we honor the Father's providing love in our wise use of his resources. We honor the Father's providing love in the wise use of his resources. Remember, when we pray for our daily bread, we pray for God to provide day by day all we need in order to thrive in this world. That means, let's break it down. What actually does this require? We pray for rain to water crops and to alleviate droughts. We pray for bounty in our farmers' harvests. We pray for affordable fuel for long-haul truckers because the higher the cost of fuel, the higher prices we pay at the shelf. <laughs> we pray for the freedom of the market. We pray for restraint in government intervention, the generosity of neighbors helping one another as God commands us to give to those in want, especially beginning with the household of God. We pray for health, to be able to go to work and get a paycheck. We pray for political stability. We pray for the vibrant unity, biblical faithfulness, and gospel boldness of the church who has the answer to the world's problems. And if we don't tell the world where the answer is, how are they going to know? Of course, I'm getting a, a 1990s song stuck in my head. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Jeremy, can we sing that? next week. <laughs> I already know. He's going to say no. All right. So 
We pray for fathers to lead their families well and be fruitful and faithful in their work and for mothers to flourish in their homes and spheres of influence. And we plead for new and creative ways to take the world that God has made and to plumb the depths of its resources for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Neighbor love is at the heart of all of it. The glory of God is at the heart of all of it. And one of the ways we show our dependent trust in our Father is by faithfully giving to his kingdom work. Friends, the reason we have missionaries from this church all the way around the world is because of the faithful giving of the saints here. Our missionaries in Indonesia, their daily bread tomorrow is coming from your giving today. Do You see, friends, this is how the gospel has gone out to the furthest reaches of the world. It's been through the trusting obedience of the saints because God uses the obedient giving of his people to mobilize the Great Commission. And in this way, through the mundane things of how we steward his resources, his glory will fill the world as the waters cover the seas. To pray for our daily bread is to pray that the channels through which God provides that bread would prosper. This brings him glory. This brings him glory. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things, which is why early commentators on the Lord's Prayer, they spiritualized verse 11. And they said it couldn't, Jesus couldn't possibly be teaching us to pray for physical bread, right? Because that's, that's too earthy. It must mean something else. No, it means what Jesus said. Because we don't eat a bite without God's care. And he shows his eternal love to us even in this. If you trace the development and growth of hospitals, orphanages, humane societies, the abolition of the slave trade, financially stable markets, you'll find that these historically have gone out to the places where the, the doctrines of the gospel have gone and taken root in those cultures. Because the gospel begins in the heart and it works outward to the ends of the world. And so much of church history, Christians have seen that, this, that ours is an active and obedient faith. And so we preach and insist that salvation is by faith alone. And then we say that a by faith alone salvation is a working faith. We don't work for salvation. We work because of it. We work in dependence on the God who saves us through Christ. And we use all that the Father provides to do his will in the world. Friends, you are your uh, neighbor's answer to their prayer for daily bread. Their job provided by God is their answer to the prayer for daily bread. God is working through all of these ordinary means to do his super ordinary things. You see, one of the most dangerous heresies that the early church battled was Gnosticism. It was complex, but one of the hallmarks of Gnosticism was this idea that the body and what we could see in this material world were bad. Only the spiritual mattered. And that's why you see your New Testament epistles filled with so many commands like, no, flee sexual immorality, don't chase it. Because people who were buying into these poisonous ideas were thinking, well, if, if it doesn't matter what I do with the body because the body is bad, then I can just enjoy anything I want with my body and, and just make sure that I love Jesus. And to which the New Testament says, no, no, don't do that. That's evidence that you haven't believed in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you glorify God in your body and your soul because both of them belong to God. You are a physical, spiritual being, and Jesus is Lord of all. When you think the material world doesn't matter because you can't take it with you and it's all going to burn, you tend not to steward it very well. But thankfully, we see a different attitude in Scripture. 
Paul tells the Corinthians, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The eternal Son of God took on a very human body and came into a very physical world, sanctifying all of it. And he has a body forever. Right now it's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from which he will come in that body to judge the quick and the dead and to establish a very earthly kingdom forever. What you do today matters for eternity. And being a closet Gnostic won't cut it. So come to your Heavenly Father and pray for your daily bread. And then honor your Father in your prayer by doing with all your heart whatever your hand finds to do. As Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, this is wisdom. So show the goodness of God in the way that you fix your client's electrical problems. Show the goodness of God in the way you install their HVAC system and make sure it lasts better than the, the way the roofer fixed my leak last year is supposed to come out again this week because... My friend Uziel, who was helping me with my electrical problems yesterday, found it. Job is not done. Show the goodness of God in how you teach your children. Don't think that one single moment you can afford to waste. In how you change your diapers, glorify God. In how you serve hamburgers, beautify the thrift shop, prepare taxes, drive trucks, and coach baseball. Show that Jesus Christ is Lord because he is. He's Lord of all of it. So strive to be remarkable in what God has specially prepared you to do in this world with the gifts that he's given you and not your neighbor because God uses that to answer this prayer for daily bread. Don't be like the guy from Louisiana in the story I heard when I was a kid who, praying that God would deliver him as the floodwaters were rising after the hurricane, went out on his front porch to see how bad the damage was and as the waters were going up, his neighbor drove by. He said, hey, Joe, Get in the car. We're going to higher ground. He said, it's okay. I've prayed and my father's going to deliver me. He had to go up to the second story because the waters kept rising and filled the first floor. And his neighbor with a boat came by and said, Joe, hop in. We're taken out of here. We're going to go get to higher ground. He says, it's okay. I've prayed and my heavenly father will rescue me. He ended up on the roof. The Coast Guard helicopter came by, dropped the ladder and said, get up, buddy. We got to get out of here. The waters are going to cover your house. He said, it's okay. I have faith. I've prayed for my father to deliver me and he will. He drowned. And standing at the gates of heaven, he said, Father, what happened? I thought I had prayed and you said you would deliver me. To which God said, I did. I sent you a car, a boat, and a helicopter. What more did you want? <laughs> Jesus is Lord of all, and he uses helicopters. This is his world. Let's live like it. Honor the Father's providing love by embracing Christ, by dependently trusting God, by being gratefully content and by wisely stewarding his resources. And that means if you're in your 20s and your 30s, get started on your retirement investments because what you put in today is God's daily bread for you 40 years from now. God uses markets. In all of this, though, remember where we're learning these lessons. We're learning them in the Lord's prayer. In the Lord's prayer. Jesus is teaching us to spend time with our loving Father, which means that we honor his providing love in our regular communion with him. In our regular communion with him. I'm afraid that so many of us labor and plan and give and serve and spend ourselves for the kingdom, all while ignoring our heavenly Father's presence, who is the God of the kingdom. He sustains us in all of it. And how often do we use it to act as if we didn't need him? but we do. 
be with your Father. We will never honor the the Father's providing love if we don't follow that love back to where he's drawing us through it, which is to himself. And this is why he sent Jesus, which is why in John 17, Jesus prays, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's knowing God. It's knowing God. That's what we're sustained for. So don't receive your daily bread from your Father's hand and then eat alone. Come to him in dependent trust for all your needs. Enjoy him and then declare his glory so others can enjoy him too. He's got a lot of room at his table. Let's pray. Father, you are a good, loving, and gracious God. Apart from you, we have nothing. Every breath we've ever taken is by your grace. Help us, O Lord, to declare your love, to live in peace, knowing that you care for us, to share the hope that we have in Jesus with others that they too might have not only their physical needs met, but their eternal need met through Christ. This is a good prayer you taught us, Lord Jesus. And so it is in your name that we come to our Father and pray, give us this day our daily bread. Father, as you provide these things, may your spirit work in our hearts that we may exalt your name, that we may labor to see and pray for your kingdom coming and your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, beginning here in our hearts, in our homes at Sun Valley Church and spreading out to the ends of the earth. Longing and praying for that day when Jesus will return and consummate all the promises we have from you. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.